welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford and Woking in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. It's with great pleasure that I introduce Bill Kuzak to you tonight, who is our Guildford pastor. The other microphone's in my handbag. Hashtag women in leadership. Woo! <laughs> um, Bill is our Guildford pastor. Um, I get to work with Bill, which is a huge privilege. He is genuinely one of the kindest, most genuine people I know. So thank you for that. And Bill is going to be continuing our series on Nehemiah. And you're going to be talking to us about perseverance today. So why don't I pray for you? Father, thank you so much for Bill. Father, thank you um, for the way that he embodies so many of the fruits of the Spirit. And Father, as he speaks to us today, would we have um, ears to hear, Father, and would we have our hearts open to what he has to say? We ask all this in your mighty name. Amen. You can just have this one. Thank you. Good evening. How are you all? Hot, certainly hot in here. Okay, let me start by reading uh, Nehemiah chapter 4 to you. So in this series about Nehemiah and about uh, building a city, and so let me read the chapter to you, and then we'll explore it together. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer their sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are rebuilding, even a fox climbing uh, climbing up on it, would break it down. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till it reached half of its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat... Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, 
Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to their own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officials posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon even when we went for water. This is one verse I'd love to read to you again. They plotted to come and fight against Jerusalem and cause confusion in it. And we prayed and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So before I was a pastor, I was a teacher. And uh, before I was a teacher, I had to learn to be a teacher. And so I finished uni, actually at Surrey, and then went uh, off to do my uh, PGCE. And I arrived at to do my PG, thinking that I pretty much had it all together, that I was pretty good with young people, that I was going to be an awesome teacher, and that it was all going to be brilliant. And I thought that I was doing really well on my PGC. The kids liked me, and the lessons were fun. And then about halfway through, my mentor uh, at the school took me to one side on a Friday and sat me down and said, you need to think about whether this is what you want to do, because you are absolutely, completely making a hash of it. Um, and I was just, to be honest with you, I was just sort of slightly thunderstruck. I thought I was nailing it. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, your lessons are all over the place. You know, the, I said, but the kids are enjoying this. I said, of course they're enjoying them. They're like, you know, your best mate. And so she said, you need to go home, and you need to think whether this is what you want to do. Because if you, this is what you want to do, you are going to have to work really hard, and there are going to have to be some changes otherwise you might as well not bother, bother coming back. So I went home, I drove back home to London to my mum's house and I went to bed and was feeling pretty dejected. And I woke up in the morning, I woke up suddenly and I couldn't breathe and I was sweating and I was, I didn't know what was going on and I'd never had a panic attack before but essentially I was having a panic attack. And eventually I sort of pulled myself together and went downstairs and told my mum what had happened and um, and, well, my mum said, you know, you, Bill, you've just got to persevere. You've just got to keep going. And um, I didn't really know what that meant or how to do that. So I went back upstairs, and I then had another panic attack and sort of lay on my floor 
uh, in sort of fetal position, not really knowing what to do. So I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that, but I just sort of prayed because I didn't really know what else to do. And I was like, God, help. And I was immediately reminded of this verse. Um, the translation is different now to the one that I had in the Bible that I had. Um, but it's in Mark's Gospel, and what it said was this. It said, um, Jesus fixed his eyes like flint on Jerusalem, and, was, and the disciples were amazed and terrified. And um, I read that verse, and I thought, well, I don't know what that means or what that's got to do with me. And uh, then I, um, I sort of began to think about it, began to pray. And um, I felt the Lord asked me a question, which was this. He said, why was Jesus fixing his eyes like flint on Jerusalem? And I thought, well, he's going to Jerusalem to, to die. So that didn't fill me with optimism. <laughs> and I, I thought, well, he's going to die. And, and then I, I, I sort of heard the Lord say, sort of in, in, in my you know, in, in a voice, a quiet, still small voice saying, and he went to rise. No crucifixion, no resurrection, no hope. And... I'm not going to say I went back and it was like I smashed it and nailed it. I, I worked harder than I ever worked before up until that point, and I got through. And it was whenever I found myself beginning to be overwhelmed again and began to feel myself starting to panic, I would remind myself, Jesus fixed his eyes like flint on Jerusalem, and the disciples were amazed and terrified. And they were amazed because they saw something about his focus that they hadn't seen before, and that was slightly unnerving to them. Because they knew, or they had a vague idea that he was walking into the lion's den, walking into Jerusalem. Now, you may not have faced a situation like that. But you might be here and you might be dealing at the moment with disappointment. Or you might have a situation at work that you are really struggling with. You might be dealing with loss or with grief. You may be raising a family. And if you are raising a family, it's just, uh, it's amazing privilege and it is unbelievable hard work. Our youngest son, we've got three boys, they're all awesome, 15, 14 and 12. And our youngest one wakes up and he smiles when he wakes up, he smiles all day, he smiles when he goes to bed and he smiles all night in his sleep. And then he wakes up and the whole thing happens again. And he's like a happy little boy. Or at least he was until a couple of years ago. And he, we, when we moved down here, he, we moved into a new school. And what we noticed is he began to struggle. Uh, and what we began to pick up on was he was learning uh, avoidance strategies at school where he would need to go to the loo or he would have a headache, or would have a stomachache or wouldn't want to go to school. And he was beginning to get anxious. And as a parent, there is nothing worse than watching your children struggle. And we, we didn't really know what to do, to be honest with you. So eventually we went and had a meeting at the school. And he's dyslexic. So uh, what that means is, for those of you who, who aren't familiar with it, is for him, his issue is his working memory. So, so it's the equivalent of him being given a whole, you being given a whole lot of information. And while you're trying to process it, Someone then says, go and do something about it. So, so in class, when a teacher is giving instructions, it's like he's running a marathon. And then the teacher says, okay, off you go. Go and do the work. 
and he's got to run the marathon all over again. And he's just, he can always do the work, but he just can't do it as quickly. So at home, we might say, oh, Jack, you know, go upstairs. Uh, if you can make your bed, pick the towel off the floor, brush your teeth, and uh, put your clothes away. And he'll, like, he will be working so hard to try and remember those things. He'll get upstairs, he'll do the first thing, and then he's used all his energy trying to remember the first couple of things. And he can't remember the rest. And, uh, and so that's what school is like for him. So eventually we decided that the best thing for him was to move school. And I want to tell you, it was just, it was agony. It was so hard. But, and we just had to persevere through that. He's now happy and loves his school. He's, it's all great. But it was really hard. And we just had to persevere. Maybe you're here and you're experiencing something like that. Or maybe you're here and for you, you struggle on a daily basis with anxiety or stress I was talking to Nikki about perseverance and, and good examples of perseverance. She said, what about running a marathon? I said, no, because you choose to run a marathon. It's not that you don't persevere. It's a different kind of perseverance. Uh, and one that she enjoys. Uh, unlucky her. <laughs> so this evening, I want to talk to you about perseverance. How do we persevere? And I want to use the story of Nehemiah to explore with you the different, a couple of different tools, a couple of different strategies that we might adopt uh, as we persevere through whatever it is we might be going through, or if it isn't something we're going through now, a friend might be going through, or something that we might experience later. So, as we've journeyed through the story of Nehemiah, the thing that we see, first of all, is he experiences wave upon wave of opposition and attack throughout the chapters that we've already read and throughout the chapters that will remain. He is mocked. Uh, he experiences outright attack. There's challenges to his self-confidence that we've read about in the passage um, just now. And whether it's Nehemiah's enemies or spiritual enemies or the situation we are in, attack normally comes in the form of confusion, whether it's our confusion, confusion about our situation, uh, and that will often involve a breakdown in communication. It's amazing how many situations that I have uh, seen or been a part of or helped somebody through where the single biggest issue, the, the wrestle, the battle, is over miscommunication or lack of communication, which leads to misunderstanding. So Nehemiah, practically, the first thing he does is he prays for vindication, and we get this insight. There's a you remember we get the first little bit and then there's literally like this pause and it's like um, he breaks the fourth wall and talk, we suddenly hear his prayer and it's like, vindicate me God. You know, let them you know, be held to account for what they've done. So he prays for vindication. He comes up with a plan and he teaches the people to protect themselves day and night. So that's great. But how do we deal with struggle, with difficulties that we are trying to overcome. I want to take it out of the abstract and, as I said, give you some tools. I was talking to my friend Anna Matter this week, and we just talked, and it was really helpful to listen to some of her thoughts around that. And the first thing that I notice Nehemiah saying is, don't be afraid. Well, that sounds great. You're in the fight of your life, and someone says, don't worry. I don't know about you, but never. Uh, there's this great postcard I saw that says, never in the history of worrying has telling someone not to worry made any difference at all. Like, don't worry. Yes, I'm trying not to worry. 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 I'm, so worried. I'm worrying about not worrying. I, you get the deal. 
So it's really good advice, but actually, how might we do that? So there are three things that I think that we can do when we are trying to persevere in a situation. I'm going to share them with you. Okay, so the first one is this. Lean on God. Lean on God. And what I mean by that is remember who God is. Remember who he says he is. If you look at the whole narrative of the Bible over and over and over again, what happens is, they, is the people of God, whether it's in the Old Testament or the New Testament, tell stories. And when they tell stories, they are reminding themselves of who God is. They're reminding themselves of what he has done and what he has said, of what he has called them to and what he has promised to do for them. Now, I don't disclaim, I haven't ever watched Game of Thrones, but um, I saw a quote that I just thought was brilliant, so I want to share it with you as we think about this leaning on God thing. Apparently, this was Tyrion, whoever that is. What unites people? Armies? Goals? Flags? Stories. There's nothing in the world more powerful than a good story. Nothing can stop it. No enemy can defeat it. You remind yourself of God's story. Remind yourself of what God has done. Document your own journey. One of the ways that you could do this is by writing. You could write a prayer journal. You could just write a journal. Now, um, I came across some of the diaries I wrote when I was 14 and younger the other week. And I was so incredibly embarrassed as I read them mostly because they were f full of which girl I fancied at the time and whether I'd managed to see them or not. But it was just, but you know what? There's something about, I read them and I think, thank goodness I have moved on from that. What a mercy. And thank goodness for the rest of you that I've moved on from that. Otherwise, we'd have real trouble. But it's as we, as we journey and then as we look back, we see we've come further than we thought. We see that there are patterns and things that God is doing. We only recognize them when we look back and we've recorded them in some way. Remind you, it may be that as you're going through particular things, there are particular promises in the Bible and you can write them down and then you just keep reminding yourselves of them like I did when I was uh, training to be a teacher and having a really hard time. Jesus fixed his eyes like flint on Jerusalem. And as we remind these things, they become a part of us and they help us as we lean on God to journey through the part of our story that we're in. And it reminds us that God has got the bigger picture and that his, he promises that in all things he works together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. He doesn't promise it's be, it'll be easy. Now, uh, when we become Christians, often people major on you know, God's got an amazing plan for your life. Yes, he has. But it doesn't mean it's an amazing, easy, pain-free, struggle-free life. When Jesus said, come, you know, I've come that you'd have life in all its fullness. Fullness is full good and full hard. But he promises to be with us. His promises that he goes ahead of us. He promises that he's hemmed us in behind and before. So the first thing is we lean on God. The second thing is we lean in to others. In the passage we've just read, Nehemiah says, when things are particularly acute, 
we will sound the horn and gather together. Let's gather together and we'll fight together. We weren't made, we weren't built to go through life on our own. We weren't built to face the struggles that we will face by ourselves. In fact, we are neurologically hardwired for community and for friendship. And that means the good times, the celebrations, and it also means the struggles. And I don't know about you, but um, I sometimes find it hard to ask for help. Um, I feel like I don't want to be a burden to people. I, I think, oh goodness, people have got a lot of stuff going on for themselves. I don't want to add to it by having them worry about me and what's going on. And a couple of years ago now, we just had a really just, it was like the worst year ever for us. So in the September, my father-in-law was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. Uh, in the January, my mother-in-law had a stroke. And in the February, us some were struggling so much at school we had to think about moving him. So it felt like we were just getting hit by tidal wave after tidal wave. It felt like every time we just about got up, we got knocked over again. It was just really, really hard. And just being totally honest, I struggled. I felt like as the pastor of the church, I should like have it together and I should be modeling, I don't know what, something. And, and therefore I felt like asking for help was like a sign of weakness. And I was talking to my friend about this, and, and, and he said, how do you feel when someone asks you for help? And I said, well, I feel like it's a real privilege that someone asks for help, because it feels like they let me into a little bit of their struggle. And, and he said, well, why, why would that be different for you than it is for, why would it be different for somebody else than it is for you? Maybe someone might feel really privileged that you've you know, let them into a part of your life and your struggle. And, you know, to be honest with you, that we got through that year, and it was just, it was just hard. It was, we cried a lot about lots of things, and my father-in-law died at the end of the year, at the end of that year. Um, and what got us through was we were part of an amazing, um, part of the eldership, and the elders were praying for us and phoning and checking how we were, and we're part of a collective, and... Our collective were just phenomenal. We'd, I'd get home and there'd be food just left on the front doorstep. Or there'd be a card through the door. Or there'd be a phone call saying, do you need anything? Or you know, do you need us to take the boys for a couple of hours or whatever? And it was just amazing to know that in that moment when it felt like we were just fighting on every front, that people had our backs and were there for us. In the words of the U2 song, sometimes you can't make it on your own. So lean in to other people. Collectives are really important for that reason, as I said. And thirdly, look up. There are some battles that we cannot overcome without the presence and the power of God. We need his presence. We need his power. And we get an insight into Nehemiah's prayers, as I said, a couple of times in that passage. Sometimes it really helps. Just like I said, it's good to journal and to remember your story and to remember God's story and your story. Sometimes it's really good to write your prayers out. I'm an external processor, so I work out what I think about something about the time I finish saying whatever it is I'm saying. So uh, a tip that someone gave me was she said, write down your prayers because as you write, often it helps your mind become, you write yourself clear. You sort of, it helps clarify what it is you're asking for and what it is you're praying. And then another tip was someone said, why don't you give your... Some, sometimes if you're having a difficult time, you're struggling, someone says, how can I pray for you? And uh, never ask me an open-ended question. 
because uh, you might be there for a while. So actually, having uh, being able to say, look, hey, here's a prayer that I am praying. I'd, I'd just love it if you felt you could join me, and, and, and uh, whenever you is a good moment. I'd love you to pray this prayer. That's the prayer I'm praying. It would mean a lot to me. And to give someone your prayer. You know, the whole Book of Common Prayer is the idea is that people collectively prayed the same prayers together because they were in it. They were looking out. They were looking, you know, looking, looking in and they were sort of looking up. So maybe write your prayers down. Give them to people. Let other people do the heavy lifting for you sometimes. I don't know about you. When, when life's a struggle, I find it difficult to pray, but it's amazing to think there are other people who are doing the praying, not just with me, but for me. You know, the story of Moses in the battle, you know, he gets tired from lifting his hands up. So he has Aaron and her lifting his arms up, keeping his arms held up. The prayer room is a great place to do that. I don't know about you, but I, if I'm at home trying to pray, I'm so distracted. I've... Um, they hadn't discovered ADHD when I was growing up, but I almost certainly have it. And so, oh, that's interesting. I'm immediately distracted. So I try and go somewhere where the only things I can be distracted by are prayer things. So the prayer room is amazing for that. It's just down here. You're free to use it at any time. We've got prayer weeks, but also just phone up the office and book a slot. There are mums who do it for their kids. There's prayer walks. Up, and there's all sorts of different ways you can pray uh, you know, on your own or with other people. Before we moved here, uh, we worked in London. The first place I worked in London was in a very deprived part of North London. And um, up until this year, uh, there were seven months in 2010 where more teenagers had been killed as a result of knife crime in London than ever before, you know, in, in recent history. So between January and July 2010, 26 young people were murdered uh, as a result of knife crime. And uh, two of them, well, one of them in our parish and one of them just literally the next road along from our parish. And uh, I had to walk my eldest son through a murder scene. Like, literally, the road was all cordoned off and there was a big tent in the middle of the road and there was a body in, in the tent. Uh, I had to walk my son through a murder scene on the way to school once. And uh, as a church, we thought, well, you know, that this area is trying to persevere through this just this pain and this loss and this just sense of hopelessness and the young people just feeling like, you know, only just feeling at risk. You know, people didn't want to leave the postcode. And we're persevering with our community and we're also thinking, how can we persevere for our community? So we just got together and we thought, well, why don't we, why don't we pray? So we decided as a church we were going to pray. And, and um, I'm a great believer in, uh, in don't pull weeds, plant, flower, plant flowers. And what I mean by that is um, I like praying for things rather than against things because God is a creative God. He likes to create things rather than stop things, so to speak. So, um, so we started thinking, well, what is the one thing that we could pray for? And we sort of pressed in and we thought and we, and we felt like God said to us, pray for fathers, because the issue wasn't the issue wasn't actually gangs. It was the fact that there were there was a generation of young people who didn't have a dad, and who were finding family in criminal gangs and criminal networks. And then we thought, well, how do we do this? Do we just do this in church? Or, and and we felt no, actually, we should go out and we should 
walked the estates. And the, the closest estate to us was from here to about where the wall is, just outside Founders. It was that close. So, we, so either on our own or as groups of people, we would just walk around the perimeter of this, these two massive estates that backed onto our church. Um, and I couldn't work out. For a long time, the, the young people called me Sid. And I, and I didn't know why that was. And eventually I asked, and they said, no, you're CID, mate. And I said, oh, no, no, it's far worse than that. I'm not a policeman. I'm actually a vicar. Um, I, no, I can't believe it. And they said, what are you doing? I said, well, we're praying because we believe in this, you know, what God wants to do in this community, and we want to persevere with you as, as we all struggle with some of the stuff that's happening. And so we'd walk around and we'd pray and we'd pray, and occasionally we'd have conversations with people, and we got to know lots of people. And, you know, the funny thing happened was that, first of all, we'd always had, like, five or six kids come to our youth group on a Friday, and then for no particular reason, over the course of a six-week period, it grew to over 100. Just kids just started walking through the door. Like, we weren't standing outside waving sweets or anything. They just walked through the door. They said, we saw the door open. We thought we'd come in and check it out. So the youth group grow, which is, you know, and these are kids who don't go to church. And then, the, then we got to know the Safer Neighbourhoods team, the police, and I was talking to um, the sergeant. Of, uh, there was a police station literally on the edge of the estate. And uh, he said, I don't know what it is you're doing, but whatever it is you're doing, can you keep doing it? And, and I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, I know you've been out walking. <laughs> I said, yes. And he said, well... Since you've done that, uh, the sale of drugs in, on these estates has fallen through the floor. He said, we don't know why, they're just, they're just, they've moved off the estates. And he said, the funny thing is, um, there was a fight on, in the youth club, not our one, but in the youth club on the in, in, the, in the middle of one of the estates. Um, and what happened was one teenager had hit, slapped another one across the face with a table tennis bat. And so the kid who'd been hit with the table tennis bat dragged the other one outside, threw him on the ground, pulled the gun out, put it to his head and pulled the trigger and it didn't discharge. And, he's, and you know, all the sort of helicopters are apparently arrived and you know, the firearms and, uh, and they, don't, they said we can't work, no one could work out why the gun didn't discharge. It should have discharged. He said, so whatever it is you're doing, keep doing it. All we wanted to do was persevere and pray for and be part of our community's story. It is extraordinary what happens. You look at the story of Nehemiah, it is extraordinary what happens when the people of God do the three things that I've said, where they lean on God, where they lean into each other, and when they look up. God can do extraordinary things. He can rebuild Jerusalem. He can rebuild our city. He can rebuild the situation that we are facing, whatever it is. Why don't we stand together? Just as I pray, you know, perseverance doesn't all have to be about hard work. I really think joy is a real key to persevering. And, and if you feel like you're lacking in joy in your life, I just want to give you one really practical way that I promise you will increase your joy. And it's this, it's to start being thankful. To start being thankful. Gratitude is the gateway to joy. So joy is not an emotion, it's a state of being. And it is often a choice. 
you know, it says Jesus, um, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, but he did it with joy. And he did it with joy because he decided to do it with joy. And he was thankful. And if we want to grow in gratitude, which will help us persevere, think of things that you can be thankful for. Now, there may be a lot that you, you know, struggling with. But think of one thing, maybe one thing that you could be thankful for. Thank you for it's a sunny day. Thank you for rabbits. Thank you for, thank you for friends or thank you for family or thank you for a fun night out with my mates or, or thank you for family. But think of one thing that you are thankful for and just keep thanking God for it. And the, the, the funny thing is the more that you're thankful, the more that you become thankful. And that will help you as you... Continue to press in and to persevere. But let me, I'm going to pray and then we'll do a little bit of ministry. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Thank you that he was called to rebuild the city. Father, thank you for the things that we've learned from his story. To lean on you. To remember who you are, to remember what you're doing, to remember the promises that you've made to us, to lean into each other and to look up and to seek your presence and to do battle with you. I want to pray for each one of us that you would help us to think of practical ways to do those things. Maybe start a journal. Maybe mine the Bible for promises. Maybe join a collective or a small group. And Lord, I want to pray that as we do that, you would, you would strengthen us so that we can continue to overcome. I'm going to invite the band back and we're going to do a little bit of ministry. So, Now, it may be that you are here and that you are struggling with something. And what I want you to know is, is that if it matters to you, it may feel like a small thing to you. If it matters to you, it matters to God, and it also matters to us. We are family. Uh, that's what a church is. And so we, we want to step into your story, and we want to um, pray with you, and we want to pray for you. So if you are struggling, if you feel like this is just the season you're in is just one, it's one long exercise in perseverance, what I'm going to invite you to do is in a second is just to put your hand up and the reason we put our hand up is first of all sometimes just owning the fact that we're struggling is just a good thing it's just good for us rather than to be in denial to actually say do you know what? I am just struggling I'm struggling and I'm trying my best to persevere so so that's the first reason the second reason is because what we're going to do is we're going to look around and if there's someone near you with their, their hand up um, we all get to pray for each other so if you're, in, in a second, when I invite you to put your hands up, if you are near someone with, your, with their hand up and you don't know them, maybe introduce yourself to them, ask them what their name is, ask them how you can pray for them, and then ask if it's all right to put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them. Uh, so that's what uh, we're going to do. So as the band play quietly in the background, if you're here and you're struggling, and this is the bit where you have to be brave, so if that's you, I'm just going to invite you now to put your hand up so that we can stand with you and stand for you and pray with you. Okay, so there's a couple. Thank you. I know it's hard. 
Thank you. So just look around. There's a couple of hands there. There's a couple of hands back there. There's a hand here. Just, just, just look around. If there's someone with a hand up, I know some people just feel super self-conscious to do this, so I get it. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. There's a couple of people at the back. Okay, and the rest of us, what we're going to do is we're going to worship for, you for a few moments and then jazz will close. <laughs>